Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. This is episode number 22 of the Founder Podcast with Nikki Durkin. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Seth Ghost, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amorosa, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hello and welcome to the Founder Podcast. My name is Nathan Chan and I'm your host and I am speaking with you from Melbourne, Australia. Happy 2015. I hope uh, you guys have some big goals planned for the new year. I certainly do. And for me, the start of the year is really, really exciting. About today's guest, her name is Nikki Durkin. And she was previously the founder of 99 Dresses. Nikki actually wrote a blog post that went viral on Medium a few months back. And uh, it really touched me. It was about how her startup failed. She told a story that is not told that often. The media often glamorizes what it means to become an entrepreneur and Whenever you actually speak to anyone about, you know, how's your business going, this and that, you don't really like to talk about the struggle. You like to just talk about the stuff that's working because that's what people want to hear. They don't want to hear about the hard times. And that's actually one of the reasons I created Founder because I wanted to show what goes on behind the scenes. But enough about me. Nikki is an incredible entrepreneur. She... I won't go into the story too much, but pretty much she got into one of the top incubators in the world called Y Combinator. Yeah, after a couple of years, things didn't really work out and she had to close up her startup, 99 Dresses. She has a really, really fascinating story and I just thought it would be interesting to share with you her lessons learned from her startup and what she would do differently. And and yeah, it's a really, really inspiring story and it's a, 
a really interesting interview. So that's it from me, guys. If you are enjoying these episodes, please make sure you leave us a review. Please get in touch with me. I'd love to hear from you. Nathan at foundermag.com. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Check out the magazine at foundermag.com forward slash iTunes. Now let's jump into the show. Can you tell us about how it all started? Like, can you give uh, the listeners a bit of a run through on how your journey as an entrepreneur started and everything? Yeah, I mean, so for me, I think the whole journey as an entrepreneur started pretty early. Like, my parents kind of raised us in a way where, um, you know, if we wanted something, we had to kind of, like, figure out how to get it and be a bit creative. So they tried not to hand us everything on a platter and that kind of, and they were very encouraging of, like, you know, entrepreneurial stuff when we were kids. So like ever since I was young, like I was always very creative and I make stuff and go and sell it. Just like I make dresses, I paint portraits of people's <laughs> dogs or draw stuff, <laughs> paintings, art, ceramics, like all that kind of stuff. And I, I just love kind of doing that and then selling it to people. And then I started kind of when I was, 14, I was probably like 14 when this happened. Um, I was at boarding school my parents didn't give us that much pocket money compared to like I was at a school where, you know, it's full of pretty much like rich kids. I got a scholarship there mm. and I learned how to like screen print t-shirts um, in one of my design and technology classes in, in school. So I actually bought some like ba- really basic equipment and was starting to print stuff for like other girls in the boarding house. And so they'd order a design and I'd design it and then I'd print it for them and and I'd sell that and I realized I was getting paid for my time. So I actually set up an eBay business with my, I was 15, my brother who was 13. So we started Colt Candy. So basically I designed t-shirts. We got them printed and drop shipped from China and sold them online. And that was kind of like my first taste of like, I guess like a proper business and entrepreneurship. And I was making like really good money for a school girl that compared to, you know, my friends who were just working on an hourly rate at Coles. And that's when I kind of fell in love with it. And I love kind of the aspect of, I don't know, like solving a problem, making people happy and they actually pay you money for it. And so I had the idea for 99 dresses when I was 16 and I just looked at my wardrobe and like, I don't wear 80 to 90% of this stuff. And it's, you know, it's perfectly good stuff. And there was no good solution in Australia for just like, I, I didn't like designer stuff will sell on eBay, but I didn't have designer stuff. It was more like fast fashion things and so I'm like oh it'd be really cool to be able to trade stuff and and then I thought of the virtual currency idea and the kind of idea kept nagging me for a few years until I finished high school and I'd actually entered a business planning competition as like an extracurricular thing for my business studies class with that idea and had won my age group like the nationals so that my age groups, I'm like, oh, you know, maybe that has some merit and then by the time I like finished high school I was like itching to do this so Literally the day I finished my last HSC exam, I was in the office of a, a company who did, does technology stuff and partnered with them. I got some, like, pitched it to my parents and got some investment from them and started that way. And I was just pretty authentic about it. I was like, I, I was just like an 18 year old girl trying to solve a problem for other, like, young girls. And I, I said that, like, um, on a, I started a Facebook event and I said, hey, my name is Nikki and I have this problem. I have a closet full of clothes, but nothing to wear. And here's my idea on how we can solve this problem with like a community and I'll, I'll do it. But you know, if other girls are interested in it, 
that like if you use a website like this, can you click attending the event? And if not, can you click not attending? And I sent it to a few of my girlfriends who got spread around to like 40,000 women in Australia. So I had oh, wow. a few thousand fans of this non-existent product. And then they're all like, okay, when's it getting built? Like what's happening? And so we kind of, I kind of collaboratively started it, I mean, with them that way. So I was building out the product and then we launched it. And, you know, like the first thing we did when we launched it, we said, okay, all you can do is log on and upload dresses and we'll launch the trading side when we get a thousand dresses on there and people who upload dresses at first kind of get buttons to spend because that's essentially how the system works like stuff was traded using buttons and um, that worked well and then from there it started taking off in Australia and yeah it was really good but like I came up with a lot of problems like technology problems like we were growing fast and the technology wasn't scaling with us and trying to get the right people on board and then it went through a period where like there were so many technology problems I didn't understand them yeah it was like a really low period like I thought the whole thing was going to fail but then a whole series of events worked out and I ended up going to Y, y Combinator you know and then I had the down <laughs> period of the funding falling through and then the up period of like trying to build that back up and get to America and then the down and the up and and so that's kind of like how it started and a lot of the rest of it's kind of like written in the, the blog post so mm. I'll cash that <laughs> yeah no, that's okay um I'm curious when you like you just finished your HSC and you wanted to start this thing. Were you were you ever afraid that it might not work out or you just wanted to go for it? About it. Like honestly, I didn't even like now it's kind of you talk about it like, oh, it's a startup. When I back then I didn't even know what a startup was. I had no idea about the tech industry. Like I didn't have any connections. I guess I was just blissfully unaware. Like I was naive to the point where like the idea of failure didn't even cross my mind. I'm like, I've been thinking about this for a few years and if I don't do it, I'm going to be thinking about it, which, and so for me, I just like, if I have an idea, I just get like really restless and I just want to do something. And the thought of failure, like really worried, like it never really even crossed my mind. And maybe that's the benefits of naivety. And, and <laughs> but, which, you know, like it's harder now, like I still have that kind of outlook. Like if I was to start something else, I know a lot better, like what opportunities I would look at and how I'd like eliminate opportunities and kind of decide on the right one. But even, like, I'm not scarred now to the point where like, I, I don't think about failure, but I just think like when you're young, you haven't started anything. You don't know how hard it's going to be. So like, if I knew how hard it was going to be, I'd probably like think twice. But mm. when you actually go through it, it's very character building. And, and so it looks intimidating up front, but like once you actually have the experience, yes, it's tough, but it's also like develops like emotional resilience and a lot of kind of good character traits, I think. So, yeah. From what I'm hearing, it, it sounded like you, you had this idea and, and you, it was like an itch and you just, just wanted it bad enough. It didn't really matter. Right. You just, you know, that's, that's something that's, that's different between, I guess someone that wants to start a business and someone that actually does is, is they just want it bad enough to a certain extent. Right. Yeah. And I think just, I mean, for me, like it wasn't built up as this huge, like I wasn't planning on raising all this money and like building out like a massive, like team. All I wanted to do was solve my own problem. You know what mm. I mean? Like let's get together a whole bunch of girls online. We'll trade stuff and yeah, we'll earn some money. And I wasn't thinking like, Oh, it's going to be a huge 
thing and like, oh, like let's raise money and expand and grow, like, you know, like the whole Silicon Valley type thing. Mm. I didn't even know about Silicon Valley then. Like I just want to solve my own problem. And I like doing that. Like I like scratching my own itch and kind of being productive and doing it in a creative way. So that really appealed to me. So yeah, for me it was also like just it was a fun kind of side project as well. And I was like studying at university at the time. So I got a scholarship there, so I was paying my living expenses. I was doing uni full time and starting this. But eventually like I just I loved it so much that especially when you're on the high, like it's really good. It's a really good feeling. Yeah, um, it is it is very addictive, right? It, it's very addictive, like especially when you get people who are like, you know, they love your product and they're like evangelists and they're kind of like I remember one point, so me and one of my friends had this like beau who was kind of he's a bit of a player, like he was a bit of a player. Not anymore. But um we would go into clubs at night and have business cards and then he would kind of like chat up the chicks and then be like, Oh, it's a nice dress you're wearing and then I'd come in and be like, Oh, you know dresses and we had this routine. And it got to the point where like I'd be like, oh, have you heard of 99 Dresses? And then they're like, oh, yeah, like I've actually signed up for that. And like, because you don't expect people to actually like know about your product. We didn't spend any money on marketing. It was just kind of like girls loved it because it solved a problem Mm. for them. Yeah, that's where the real gold is, isn't it? It's not like, you know, the money is great if somebody's prepared to spend their hard-earned cash on something that you've created. Yeah. But – yeah, you, you can't put a price on somebody just, yeah, like you said, like finding somebody that's an evangelist for what you've created or just, you know, having that kind of impact. Yeah, I remember like when 99 Dresses shut down and when I announced it to our community, they were like, like they were posting stuff on our Facebook thing. It's like, I woke up today and my boyfriend's like, why are you so sad? And she's like, well, it's 99 Dresses last day of trading. And they were trying so hard to keep us afloat like they literally like on our app were like posting what was supposed to be items but they put up like textgrams they're called and like write out stuff to the community and they'd be like wow. okay ladies like I've emailed all the investors I know who else has like connections and like they were trying so hard to kind of like help us save it and it was just heartbreaking and then they're like oh you have our credit cards on file can you just charge us like a monthly fee and like you know, like they really wanted to save it. And then they were like, oh, we'll put together like a crowdfunding campaign for you. But like by the time this happened, the ship had already sailed. Like we'd already started winding stuff down and Mm. it was just kind of far gone. But it was just kind of, you know, that's why I do it. It's like these people who are just so passionate about this product and the community and what you build. And I think that was kind of like the saddest part about (laughs) about shutting the whole thing down because you like we really built something that worked it was just kind of unfortunate I guess are there any regrets no I don't have any regret I mean I don't do regrets really like there's things I would have done differently but I don't regret necessarily not doing them like like I learned a lot of lessons but I'm glad I learned the lessons because I'm not going to repeat the same mistakes my next business Mm. um so I don't regret anything at all but they're definitely things that like I'd probably do differently next time yeah no that's a great attitude and I'm curious what can others learn from from your mistakes when you said the things that you do differently what like can you give us at least three things okay three things raise money when you don't need it <laughs> definitely 
is number one. I think trying to get the right dynamics with the team is really hard. And I think I know better now, like what to look like, what qualities to look for. And I guess like to find the right team. Like I think that the team is kind of like just so important. And I think with pivoting as well, like we made a pivot kind of like at the last minute. And I think that that was probably a bad decision. And I think approaching problems like with a sense of panic can lead you to do stuff like that. And I've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs who do the same thing. It's kind of like you're in a bad situation. So you kind of invest a lot of time in something that you probably shouldn't as like a panic kind of it's approaching the problem from the wrong perspective. And I think I did that towards the end and that probably like wasn't good. So um, I think one of the most important things I kind of pulled out of it is knowing how to assess an opportunity and what to look out for in different opportunities. Like when I started 99 dresses, I just wanted to solve my own problem. I didn't mm. think about it from business building or like a scalability perspective or like you know like you know economics and all that kind of stuff and then now when I'm looking at different opportunities like I can look at something and and pretty much like have a really good idea of like what the pitfalls are going to be and whether it would make a good business because the problem with 99 dresses was like even though it solved a pro- like a real like a problem that so many people have from a business perspective I think there were problems with the business model um because so one of the hard lessons I learned was just because there's a problem that needs solving doesn't mean that it's and that it might be a huge problem huge market and it needs solving it doesn't mean that it's going to make a good business um mm-hmm. and if I want to make money there are like way better ways I think for me to make money than than that one but I did it because I was passionate about it <laughs> I didn't hmm. know that from the beginning. so I mean that, I think that's a really tough lesson to learn because it was something I was so passionate about, but realizing like if I break down the business model, like there were flaws. I think there were flaws there from a scalability perspective. So although we solved a really good problem, I think one of the takeaways as well is that if you have a good market and a good business model, you can work just as hard as someone who is in a bad market or has a bad business model, you can work just as hard as them, and you're going to be, you're probably going to have, you'll have a much higher chance of success. And if you're, you have the, uh, if you start in the wrong market with bad business model, you can work your butt off and work just as hard as someone and be persistent and everything as someone who's in a better market and mm. with a better kind of straight like model. And you're not going to be successful no matter how hard you work because of that. And so I think now when I'm like assessing opportunities, looking at the market and the model, it's like really important because when I started my dress, it was like, I didn't even think about that <laughs> really. It was just more like, this is a problem I have. And yeah. When you talked about models, what, what sort of the next thing you start, what sort of business model do you like the sound of the most now? So my next thing, I would do something that I could bootstrap initially, at least to get some initial traction and then I'd raise money for growth if I could. So I guess like with my, maybe I'm a bit jaded with marketplaces. The problem with marketplaces is that you invest a lot up front. Like they're expensive to start because you've got to acquire the users and then you don't, it's really hard to validate whether they're going to pay you. So mm. um, you invest a lot in building out the platform. The technology is worth nothing without the community. So then you invest in getting the community together. 
And then you might find out after all that investment that they're not willing to pay or, Mm. you know, so it's like, it's, I guess it's like for the, they can be really good if you have that capital and you want to do that whole approach. I think for me next time I'd rather do something where I sell, like I like e-commerce at like sell a product or software as a service or just something where, you know, kind of like, there's, there's concrete money changing hands from a market who's willing to give you money. And I think one of the problems with the, the market we were targeting was that we were solving a problem which was in fast fashion. It was like a huge problem. Like from an environmental point of view, from a like a lot of different points of views, it's, it's a big problem. And it's a really obvious problem that women have. But part of the problem, I think, is that from an ease of use, like people, no matter how environmentally responsible it is to trade and recycle stuff, you can still go down to H&M and buy a blouse for $15 or you can get one off 99 dresses for like $4, but you have to give away your own thing and pack, like still have to like send, ship it off and list it. And, and then mm. you can get something where it's like secondhand. So the point is, I guess that like we were targeting a market that was a bit cat, like cash straps that are more thrifty. And so it's mm. hard to get money with them. They would spend money with us because we were like a really good solution for them. But like from a scalability point of view it was just really hard to learn that even though our solution worked really well the laziness factor of people and that oh it's just easier to go to h&m to buy something new and chuck out my old stuff and throw it in the trash which is so inefficient and wasteful you know like i think in the end that was like a big factor i see and there's something else i'd like to unpack and that was you said around you would have a better eye for for building your team and you know what qualities to look for. Can we go a bit more specific on those qualities? One thing that I I realized is that when you're working with someone new, it's incredibly hard to suss them out straight away. Like you need to spend, you need to spend a decent period of time with them. You also need to see them under pressure. So I worked with people who were great, when things were great, but just had no backbone and no like staying ability. And they just mm. flaked like when things, they weren't even getting tough. They were like, like the co-founders, <laughs> the co-founders that left, like pretty much like got in the interview to YC. I needed my other guy I've been working with, got a really serious illness, had to drop out of the company. And I had like a few days to find new co-founders. <laughs> so I brought these guys on and which was, you know, a shotgun wedding, which I would not recommend, but, at the same time, it did kind of give me the opportunity to go to YC. And they went through YC and told me they were leaving right before we raised, like I'd spent two months on this deal. And then they told me they were leaving. You know, it was just A, devastating and B, like a sense of betrayal. <laughs> like I pretty much like financed their whole adventure to the US and now they could say they were YC founders and and move on with their life. And I was left to pick up the pieces. So I think like loyalty um, mm. and just like, like having good moral standards like my my co-founder Marchin who eventually like stuck it out like he quit his corporate IT job because I mean he dabbled with like some startup projects on the side and but he could never find the right team and like and he was working in you know a well-paid job in in the Sydney CBD at a bank doing IT stuff and he quit his job came and joined me and just as his wife, like he knew this at the time, but his wife had gotten pregnant 
And then, you know, he knew that like he was going to have to move to the other side of the world. So he ended up moving to the other side of the world with his wife and his like three month old daughter, stuck it out with me there, stuck it out through the tough times. And even at the very end, when like I was assuming he'd have to like go get a job because of what was happening with the funding. And he was like, no, like we can get through this. And he stayed until like the very end fighting and like he has like character he has staying power he has loyalty he has and I would take consistency and and character and like work ethic over skill any day like he's also very very skilled which is good which is great too but just in terms of I've worked with someone before who was technically very brilliant but not not consistent and so I look for like consistency and like just someone who's quite emotionally mature oh and also like you can tell this up front like when you're negotiating stuff but people who are too demanding like I've worked with before people who like my those co-founders who left like I should have seen the warning signs Mm. but just like very much a sense of like entitlement and when they're like negotiating things and when they hadn't proven themselves like huge ego oh I can't deal with egos as well so they have to for me another lesson I learned was the guy that left main guy like he had an ego the size of Jupiter and I was the one out like you know the face of the company like that was my job (laughs) you know to do all of this stuff and I like I just don't think he could deal with it especially the fact that I was a 20 year old chick at the time and he was like a 34 year old dude I mean, he even said something kind of <laughs> to that effect, but I think it was feeling emasculated. But but the problem is he had a huge ego. And one thing that kind of Paul Graham said to me when it all fell through, and he said, if you have a founding team, like you've got to have the Steve Jobs and the Steve Wozniak. You can't have two Steve Jobs because they'll butt heads on everything. And that's what me and this other guy was doing. Whereas Marchin was kind of like my Steve Wozniak. Like he was, a, you know, a quiet sensible. Yeah. Very sensible and very like just good character and backbone and like would put his head down and get the work done and he didn't expect like fame and glory and and all of that like he just wanted to get his hands dirty and kind of be in on the ride whereas his other guys wanted all the appearances of success but they weren't willing to put in the work like it was like they thought like white combinator was very glamorous and then after that it was like oh well, now it's just hard work. And they, as soon as it was like just hard work without the glamour. So, and then, and I was like, what do you expect? Like, it's a startup. What do you think you're getting into? Like, I think people just think that, oh, it's so glamorous and it, it's going to, you know, it's going to be easy because that's the way the media portrays it. Like, you know, mm. it's the, it's, it's all survivor's bias. And I was like, no, it's just freaking hard work. And yeah, so I think those are like a few of the, the qualities that and some of them I think you can't immediately tell like you can they might look fine when you first meet them but you need to work with them you need to work with them for a while especially seeing them under pressure like that's when people's true colors kind of come out and that's why I think like I'd much rather start something with people I know or people I trust and have worked with before than you know strangers because they're like you just don't know what they're like under pressure so I got lucky with Martin (laughs) definitely I'm really curious when you uh, had to get these co-founders on board to get into YC 
What did your gut tell you? I can't even remember. I mean, pretty much I was so pumped. Like I applied to YC with a guy I'd been working with for about nine, ten months. And literally he told me a week before I found out if I got an interview that, that he had to drop out of the company because he was literally in hospital, like very serious illness. And I got wow. this inter- like email, like an interview with YC, and I rang up my advisor and was like, I'm so fucked. Like, I don't have co-founders. I don't know what to do. Like, and, and he was like, oh, don't worry, we'll sort something out. And I think it was just then it was like this sense of excitement. Like, this was my way out of Australia and to get some funding and to like go and, you know, it's like my dream was to kind of do that. And this was my chance. And so I think that was a really bad position to be finding new people from and also the time limit because it was pretty much like you're willing to c- come over here and, and join and you have good skills and like objectively look quite good, you know, cool, let's do it. And it was very much a shotgun wedding, which is not what I'd recommend. But at the same time, if I hadn't have done that, I reckon my dresses would have would have probably failed in Australia. So I needed to get to the US. And so even though it was like, you know, two steps forward, one step back <laughs> with that, like, cause they left, it still got me a foothold over there. So I don't regret it, but I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't advise someone to, to do that. <laughs> hmm. Okay. Uh, this, this is really interesting insights because it's like, it sounds like there's so much you've learned and I, there's no doubt in my mind, the next thing you do, you know, you will, you will be successful with it. hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I get that. I'm curious, what advice would you give to aspiring entrepreneurs that are on the fence? They, they, they want to start a business, but they don't know where to start. I don't know. Like I stop thinking about it and just do it. Like I know it's not great advice, but mm. I see a lot of people like who do do that. Like they're like thinking about it and they're thinking about it and then they never actually do it. And it's kind of like, it's not even worth thinking about <laughs> really, unless you're going to, do something about it but I'd say do a lot of research into the market you want to go into and I would say talk to customers like it's the best way of figuring out if you're actually solving like make sure you're solving a problem and that's the best part I think is if you can scratch your own itch and then there's a, a big market of people who also have the same you know itch and then talk just talk to a lot of those people like for instance I was chatting with my mom and she's like oh I have this problem with you know, a way she does like her accounts payable and we're just chatting with her and like, I'm like mocked up, you know, a way to solve her problem. She's like, Oh my gosh, that would like really solve my problem. And I'm like, well, you know, if you want to go and talk to some other local business owners who have the same problem, like, you know, she's got plenty of friends around our town who run businesses who like, and just see how they do with their accounts payable. You might find that they're also having the same problem and then you know maybe there's like a business in there and so I think that's kind of like probably often overlooked because people are just like I have this brilliant idea and then they want to like oh the other thing is don't I always see people doing this but they want to do everything all at once so for instance they're like oh we're gonna have the website and then we're gonna have like the mobile app and, and everything and they don't realize especially if they're not technical they don't realize like how much work and time not only to build it but to maintain it and keep iterating for instance Mm. like a lot of people i see like i've spoken to who are like just starting out and they're like oh so we're doing this and then we've also got the app and 
like, oh, we want to do the app too. And it's like, why don't you just pick one platform and try it on there? Because otherwise, if you get it wrong, you're going to have to change it on multiple platforms. Or if you build some like big thing and then release it and it doesn't work, you're not going to know what feature isn't working because there's too mm. much crap in there. So I think generally like I see a lot of people who want to start businesses and they think that from a product design point of view, like they want to put everything in there and they think they're thinking big, which is great, but you've got to start really, really small and really close to your customer. I think they're kind of like the main things, but mainly like just, just do it, do something like do some research, talk to some customers. You might find after talking to customers that it doesn't sound like, you know, other people have that problem, you know, it could invalidate a lot of things. And I think just starting small with a prototype iterating from there is great. And that's another reason why marketplaces are quite difficult because it's really hard to validate stuff in that respect because the value kind of comes from the community rather than the the product or technology but and then just do it do something um and stop talking about it i think but yeah that's just me i get very like for me personally like i just get restless if i have an idea that kind of keeps nagging me oh and i think also realizing that what you build your first time around is probably not going to be right so everyone, I notice a lot of people like they, they put so much effort into their first version and they think it's like, they spend time debating with the co-founders. I've seen this before so many times, like, and I've done it myself, the most trivial things. And once you've been doing mm. it for a few years, you realize that like what that title says there does not like no one, can, it's so <laughs> trivial, like, or how that's done, like all these trivial things. Cause my attitude to stuff now is like a product you know, like managing a product is we can always change it later. Like if it's not right, we can change it later. Just get something shipped, like get it out the door instead of debating like miniature details, I think. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, so for what I'm hearing, you're a big fan of the Lean Startup methodology? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, I think Lean Startup's great. I think it's easier to apply to businesses where you can kind of get value without needing a lot of other people like that kind of methodology is quite is more difficult to apply I think to network-based businesses because you can build great minimum viable product but you're not going to be able to validate it unless you have a big community there right so Mm -hmm. um whereas if you're doing software as a service like that's perfect like you go and talk to customers you put in front of them and iterate like but I find always like talking to customers it's great. <laughs> um, and I went through periods where I didn't do that enough. And when I kind of recentered ourselves around talking to the people who actually use our product and what they love about it and how they view it and how we can change our messaging around that and what features and what bits and pieces they don't like and um, what would actually solve their problem, like our product it was just so much better. You know, this, this is great advice. Um, there's a lot of good stuff here. Um, we have to work towards wrapping things up, but I'm curious – you mentioned around and in your post, and it, and it felt so true where you said that uh, the media glamorizes the startup world and, and what it, like, you know, becoming an entrepreneur. And people don't realize that it's hard work and you've got to make a lot of sacrifices and there's a lot of things you have to give up. I'm curious, what's your take on that? I mean, it's totally the case. And, but this is, I think there's two issues here. 
One is the media, which is they'll print a success story and then they make it look like an overnight success. When in actual fact, if you talk to most success stories, it took them four years, you know, two to four years to kind of get off the ground and then it looks like an overnight success. And I think the other issue is all of these stories are all told with survivor's bias. So if you think about it, the media prints stories, right? They're success stories. And because they're success stories, the companies still are going concern. They have a reputation to uphold. So they're not going to air all their dirty laundry, you know, to the public because they still have a brand name to protect. So therefore, mm. even if you do get a story of like what happens, like, you know, or what happened in Facebook or what, like, it's still not going to be the really authentic, like it's always going to have a PR spin to it because if you're running a company, you've got to care about what the public knows, right? So that means that even the stories that you do read about startups, um, the successful ones, they're probably not entirely true. Like they've probably got a lot of PR spin and they're not going to, they're going to gloss over all the details about how freaking hard it was and all of the like backstabbing and the drama and the investments falling through and all that kind of stuff because they want to look successful and then you've got the other side of the equation which is what like 90 percent or more of people like their startups fail and because they're not successful like they don't have a brand name to protect so they're they can actually talk about what actually happens in businesses but they don't because failure is embarrassing and it's kind of you know you feel guilty and shame and all these like emotions and the media just wants to talk about like the success stories and I think it's dangerous as well just because I was always of the belief that if I kept going and I kept persevering you know because that's like my identity as an entrepreneur it's like I will persevere because like this I'm an entrepreneur this is what I do and I read Mm. all these stories about like oh the companies that persevere and are eventually successful but what I didn't realize is that for every one of those stories there's stories that aren't told of the people who persevere and try just as hard and they're not successful. So I think just like from a realism point of view and also from a point of view of like knowing when it is time to throw in the towel and not like give up, but just like from a purely a point of view of like, are there more productive ways that I could be spending my time? Because like I said, if you're working, you might be persevering and persevering and like, you know, doing what the media kind of portrays. It's like the entrepreneurial thing and like overcoming all these obstacles. And you're doing it for a product that's never going to be big because you're in the wrong market or you, and you've realized that, but you're too stubborn to give it up. And I think maybe I kind of had that a little bit, like I was not going to give up on my dream, I guess. But after reflecting now, I think that from, it was actually a really good thing for me to do was for me to stop just because from what I know about the business now I think I was persevering more for the fact that like if I keep persevering I'm going to be successful like I've just got to keep overcoming these obstacles when in actual fact like I could probably be spending my time and the lessons I've learned on a more productive business in a better market and actually be successful if that makes sense does that make sense I don't know yeah 100 percent that's that's really that's really really spot on and that's it's so true and I I know what you mean like it you don't want to say that your business is going bad, especially when the press want to talk to you, right? It's counter, it doesn't, doesn't make sense. It's like counterintuitive to say, yeah, we're going really badly. We're struggling really bad because you want it to feel like you want it to seem like it's going great. I think also it's, and it's not necessarily like the media's 
fold, it's that as an entrepreneur, you kind of have to fake it till you make it. Like you can't let on to potential clients or customers or potential employees. Like you don't want to make it look like you don't want to be that transparent necessarily because like otherwise they're not going to believe in you. It's kind of like this self-fulfilling prophecy. So if you, you might be doing badly, but if you're transparent about doing badly, like you're not going to get the right employees, you're not going to get investors, you're not going to get customers. And so you're going to do really badly. Whereas like if you, if you're doing badly and then you kind of fake this like, oh, but we're doing really well, like suddenly, oh, the investors are interested, the the employees are interested, the customers are interested. And if you can get the customers, you're going to get the investors. And it's kind of like, you kind of have to fake it till you make it. And like, it's not necessarily, I think, a question of the companies that we're still going at, like need to be more transparent about what's happening because you can't really do that, especially like Silicon Valley is built on, well, I guess it's, it's the whole hype thing and kind of like giving off this sense of, oh, we're killing it. And it is. And, and if you can raise money like on that, then that's great. And I think it's just really hard to, to actually be super transparent when you actually have a company. It Like I can do it now because I don't have a brand name to protect. 99 Investors is over. So I can be quite transparent about it, but I wouldn't go saying all this stuff out in public when we were still, you know, going. Yeah, it, would, it wouldn't make sense. Yeah. So, yeah, no, it's, yeah, it, it, yeah, it was, that's why I think, yeah, your, your post that you wrote on Medium was so heartfelt because a lot of people felt that. Yeah, like just the number of stories that have, like people have reached out and that's the thing. It's like when you're going through failure, you think it's just you and everyone else is killing it and having, like, <laughs> you know, a, yeah. like I remember after we decided to shut down and the next day or two days later or something, I went out with a friend in New York to, um, she runs this thing called Dreamers and Doers. So it's like a group of women who do stuff in startups and we get together and do brunch every weekend. And my friend was like, oh, do you want to, do you want to come? And I was kind of feeling like, oh, I should make an effort. And, but like, I just decided to shut down my company and she knew. And um, so she was like, oh, you're up for it. And I thought I was fine. But then everyone was kind of standing around the circle and they're like kind of going through, oh, your biggest win this week and your biggest like challenge or whatever. And like, I just started crying and walked away. (laughs) Like I just could not deal with it. It was really emotional, I think, because I, it felt to me like I was like, everyone's, oh, like their wins. Like, oh, I signed up a new client. I did this. I like got this new contract. Like, and I know that that's not necessarily like, I'm sure they've got a million problems as well, but on the outside, like just like being in that situation. And I was like, no, I can't deal with this. And I just like walked away and left. Like, because when you do go through failure, it feels like you're the only one. When in actual fact, like after I wrote that blog post, I got, so many emails from people who are all like, yep, happened to me. And I just kind of, you know, faded into oblivion, like licked my own wounds and didn't talk about it. And that's what's happening all over the place. So it's kind of comforting, (laughs) I guess. Yeah, it is extremely comforting. And yeah, it's a little bit like what's something that was shouting out at me is um, actually something that one of my mentors taught me was that, like you always think about yourself as, oh, you know, you compare yourself to others and you think, oh, you know, oh, it's only me that has these problems and challenges. But 
at the end of the day, every single person, like every single human being has problems and challenges. And it's just like every single startup or every single business. Yeah, that's so true. But you just don't, you don't see that because it's, it's shameful to communicate that stuff and it's embarrassing and it's, it's making yourself vulnerable and yeah, yeah, no, you know, I just wanted to say thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content, either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.